Hey there, All Souls family. Coming to you from Matt's Garage. Exciting things on the way, and we're having some fun tonight, trying some new things. You know, one of the challenges of reading Scripture for many years is that familiar texts begin to take on kind of a sing-song, romanticized tone. Now, as Peter went here and there among them, all he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. It sounds a little bit like an introduction to a Winnie the Pooh story. But I want us just to think for a moment about Peter's emotional state at this point. Just three years earlier, he was running a fishing business in rural Galilee. He had become a passionate follower of Jesus, had betrayed him, uh, seen him murdered, powerfully experienced forgiveness from the risen Christ. Peter probably had never been out of Jerusalem, or rather into Jerusalem before he met Jesus. So this is a person from a very rural society going into an urban one. He winds up leading a community in this major metropolis. That in itself would have been extraordinarily stressful. The dialects even between the north and the south in Israel were were so dramatic sometimes it was hard to understand them. Well, life appears to hit a stride for the Jerusalem community, uh, maybe even for a year or two. And then we read in Acts 8.1, And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Now, it says a great persecution, a, a dangerous persecution, an intense persecution. Now, it's common for historians to to point out that persecution in the the early church was sporadic, and that is true. It was more intense in some times than others, uh, in some regions than others. But here's the important thing. If you were a Christian in the first century, you didn't know that. So psychologically, persecution could come anytime. You were always waiting for the knock at the door. And when it says scattered, they literally were thrust out of their homes. Some of them left their families and sort of treated like refugees thrust into a world that they did not know very well. And so really what you have in the book of Acts is a story of a, of a, of a scattered, harassed church that is uprooted, um, unmoored from uh, everything that was familiar, and uncertain of their future. And, and, and I, I can't help but think that this is similar to the way a lot of us feel today with all that's going on uh, in the world and in the pandemic and things like that. It's a time of kind of disruption and we can feel anxious and and stressed out and harried. So one of the ways to look at the book of Acts is how do you find meaning and purpose in a time like this? And really the whole book of Acts shows how Christians respond um, when they feel unmoored. And that is uh, what this little story about about Peter is about. Um, He arrives in this little village of Lydda, which is about 25 miles to the north. And the first thing that we read that he does is he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. You know, Peter probably didn't know a lot about that community. He probably wasn't sure exactly where he was going next. He He seems to be somewhat alone and isolated at this time. And one of the first things he does is find the people of God. And I I think that is a a great lesson for us in days like these when we feel kind of unmoored and disconnected. Find the saints. 
find the people of God. Be intentional about it. Don't isolate. Well, when he gets there, it says he, he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now, let's just think about that name for a moment. Um, Aeneas is the name of a mythological, uh, godlike hero uh, in both Greek and Roman mythology. He uh, was the son of the goddess Aphrodite. Uh, Roman legend said that he was one of the first to to, to start Rome itself. So uh, this man was named after uh, one of the great mythical heroes of the Greek and Roman religions. Um, and in the story, this man named after a godlike hero figure uh, from Greek and Roman religion is paralyzed and can't get out of bed. Now, I don't, I don't know if Luke is uh, intending this or not, but, but that detail strikes me as significant because uh, it's saying something about perhaps the, the gods of Greco-Roman culture at that time, that they, they were sick, um, they were tired, they uh, could not get out of bed. And that really was the state of, of Greco-Roman religion. The people didn't um, really believe anymore. Or they, didn't, they didn't take it seriously anymore. And these gods had kind of lived out their shelf life. And that's the backdrop of what happens next. Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. So Jesus heals the man and the neighbors see this pure, amazing healing power of the Son of God, and they turn from their weak, tired um, gods to Jesus, the living God. Um, it's, it's a powerful image of, uh, of the God of gods breaking through and revealing himself to people who were looking for the true God. Well, you know, let's unpack this a, a little bit. The, the first thing that I think of, and this is a little bit of a troubling thought, but I think it can lead to a hopeful thought, is in some ways, for many people, Christianity is, is kind of a tired religion that they feel has been tried and, and found wanting. And, and a lot of people have kind of rejected organized Christianity and are, are looking for new gods. I, I, I heard a podcast recently on a... Uh, QAnon, the conspiracy theory, and how it may be the first internet religion. Uh, I read an article about how the racial justice movement has in some ways become a kind of religion in itself, offering meaning and forgiveness and transcendence. Uh, I read something else about uh, how nature has begun to fill the void that the church has left. So, a lot of that is happening in, in our culture, too. So one of the things that we might ask when we look at a text like this is, what, what can happen in a culture where people are growing weary and cynical of the Christian faith to reveal the truth of Jesus? Um, what, do we, what do we ask God to do? What happens in this kind of a moment? Well, here's how the message translates verse 35. Everybody who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw the man walking around and woke up to the fact that God was alive and active 
among them. <laughs> they, they woke up. They saw something in Peter's interaction with the man that woke them up. And they said, this is the real God. He's alive and active among them. Let's kind of see how this, how this happens as we uh, follow along in the story. The first thing we see, Peter found a man named Aeneas. If you find something that you're looking for. Um, Peter, I guess, he could have just kind of stayed uh, with the saints and they could have talked about how bad the persecution was. But Peter actually is out looking for people who need healing, people who need love, people who need Jesus. And he has eyes to see them. Um, last week, uh, Sandy and I got to go see David Johnson's uh, good, good friend's photo exhibit at the Emporium. And David has been taking hundreds of pictures inside the old standing knitting mill building for about eight years. And uh, he picked the best 20 or so and put them into a, a photo exhibit. And to, I was expecting, given the nature of the building, that they would be grim black and white photos. But far, far from it, these were beautiful pictures filled with color. And David would go into this building and he would find a pole that was painted bright yellow or a, a way that the sunlight was coming in through a broken window and illuminating uh, uh, water on the floor or grass peering up through uh, the, the broken, broken asphalt. And he took pictures that were beautiful um, in this decayed building. And I asked him after, I said, how, I don't think I would have seen any of that if I was in there. And he said, just all these years of practicing uh, photography, I've learned to see beauty. And I think that's maybe something that Peter's doing here is he, he's been trained by Jesus to see the beauty of, of human life, to see people who need dignity and, 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 and justice and hope and healing, and he sees it. And that's part of how he's at work in this little village. He's, he's not just focusing on his own needs. He's looking at the needs of others. Saturday afternoon, um, Gary Peacock led a prayer walking training for facilitators, and uh, we're going to hopefully get everybody out on a prayer walk this fall. And he taught for a while, and uh, then we went into groups of three and four and walked and prayed around the neighborhood, and um, it was really rich um, time. When we got back, one of the, my walking partners said, did you notice the, the prostitutes on the corner? And did you notice the man in the car? That was a John who was uh, watching out for them, making sure they didn't leave. Uh, and then she pointed to another man that was um, preparing to, to turn the trick. And I'd missed all of it. I just thought people were waiting for the bus. But she had eyes to see. She could see the needs. So, you know, one one way I, I think we, we move into a, a neighborhood is just by asking God for the ability to see the needs that are there and then having the courage to go, go look. Well, then I love what Peter says. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I heal you. He says, Jesus Christ heals heals you. The power comes from Jesus, not from Peter. He just introduces the man to Jesus. He's a vessel. He's a conduit. 
I think that's, in a way, maybe one of the simplest summaries of Christian ministry in the whole, the whole Bible, is that all we have to do is introduce people to the beauty and the love of Jesus. It, it doesn't have to come from us. The power isn't in us. The power is in Jesus. And, you know, we were talking earlier about why people find Christianity unattractive today. And I I think some of it is we've gotten confused about power. We're perceived as grasping for power, clinging to power, making moral compromises for power. And, And I know that's not always true, but sometimes it is. And Christians love power, powerful leaders. We love big personalities. We love to make celebrities out of our out of our leaders and we think that only powerful people can really do powerful things for God but but Peter knows he doesn't have any power the power comes from Jesus now as as you have eyes to see the needs that are around you it might be common you know when you see someone who needs love who needs Jesus who needs healing to think you know I really can't Lord, show me that, but there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I don't have the training. I don't have the experience. Uh, I've got my own issues. Don't let that narrative derail you because the power is not in you. The power is in Jesus. And something the Lord's been showing me lately, going back to Simon, it's not a good thing to want that power. I don't even think I'm becoming, I don't even think it's a great thing to ask for that power. I think that the power of Christ's abiding life in us flows out as a byproduct of pursuing him, of being rightly ordered in a relationship with him, of the things in our life healing up and anything that's blocking Christ, you know, being removed. And then power naturally happens. But I think when we start to focus on the power, we, we get into trouble. Well, the next thing that happens, it's in this beautiful, simple little story of Peter, this scattered, unmoored man, uncertain of his future, at risk with authorities at his back who could easily just kind of tumble into depression. He, uh, he finds the people of God. He starts to look around for the needs that he can meet. He understands that the power doesn't have to come from him. It comes from Jesus. And then I <laughs> love I love this line. He says, rise and make up your bed. And I couldn't help but think that my mother would have, would have said something like that if she were Jesus. Now, why tell the guy to make up his bed? Well, because that says that you're not going to get back in it. Um, Jesus doesn't want the man to return to the old way. Uh, this is not something where he is healed for five minutes and he goes and rests for a while. It's Jesus's way of saying the old way of spending your life is gone forever. Now there's a, a sober proverb that something says something like, a fool is like a dog that returns to its vomit. And there is something in our flesh that wants to get back to bed, that wants to return to the old ways, that wants to stay sick, that's afraid of living free. And, and Jesus is, is cutting off the, the man from his old ways. He's not going back to bed. Just personally, maybe we could stop for a minute and ask, have you made up your bed? You know, sometimes sickness can be easier than being healthy. Uh, We can become familiar with our sickness. 
at least we know what to expect. And so we take a few tottering steps towards freedom and then go back to bed. We go back to that toxic relationship to, to the addictions and the crazy thought patterns and the familiar gods and the hours and hours on our phone and all of that. We go back to our vomit. You, know, you, you might have heard of the um, story about the elephant that had been in captivity so long that when the cage door opened, um, it didn't leave because it was conditioned to, to live in the cage. It was afraid of, of freedom. So that's the way a lot of us live. And I think when Jesus says, make up your bed, he's saying, when he calls you to change, when he calls you to move into a new space, you have got to leave behind what was before. You can't go back to it. You have to make up your bed. You have to get up and move on. Now, really, we're talking about changing. To change is to make up your bed. It's to leave the old ways for the new ways. And Peter had gone through a lot of change. He knew about this. He changed his location, his vocation, and lots of other things. And I bet you there were times he just wanted to head back to Galilee to go back. But he couldn't. He made his bed. He was moving on. Now, I think for many of us, one of the things that's happening in the pandemic is God is inviting us to change things. I mean, we're changing how we're doing worship. You're probably changing how you're parenting or exercising or praying. Think for a minute about what you're being invited to change. What are you being asked to do differently than you'd ever imagined doing? What new ways are you exploring? Um, where's the new wine pouring? Where is there even the smallest little bit of movement towards change in your life? Well, will you make your bed? Will you leave behind the old and the familiar? Now, I don't think our God is tired at all. You know, I said earlier that it seems like sometimes the Christian church feels like an old tired religion to people in our culture. Well, I don't think Jesus is old or tired. But perhaps the, the way we've structured our service to him in our churches, um, maybe it is a little bit of tired. Maybe new wine is being poured. Maybe we're asked to change. You know, will we make our bed? Will we decide not to go back, but to keep going forward. I've had a conversation recently with some, some friends that go something like this, you know, gosh, I, and I really relate to it. I'm worried about our country. Um, I'm worried about the, the virus. I'm worried about racial relations and politics and the recession, and I'm not sure where things are headed, and I'm scared about it. I feel anxious. Where can I find hope and joy and meaning in a time like this? And I suspect, you know, let's not make Peter out to be superhuman. I suspect he had these feelings. I suspect he felt very unmoored. And essentially, he does two things. They're not the only things. We could talk a lot more about just the importance of abiding in Christ and nourishing that personal relationship during times like this. But he does two things when he feels unmoored. He seeks out the saints. He, in other words, he finds community, he doesn't isolate, and then he looks around him for someone to serve. 
And uh, when he does, many people follow him. And I think that's a great way um, to live when we feel unmoored. Find the people of God. Find somebody to serve. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I think a lot of us do feel unmoored right now. And uh, Peter, of all people, knew what it meant to feel loved by you and in relationship with you. He had that intimate moment with you over breakfast where you forgave him and called him. And so, Lord, I, I pray that in this season you would give us moments like that over breakfast with you, intimate moments where we feel close to you. Then, Lord, I... I pray you'd help us find the saints uh, that we wouldn't isolate. And as the weather gets colder and it's harder to meet together outdoors, that we'd be creative in finding ways to, to be together in healthy, safe ways. And then, Lord, give us eyes to see, like my friend that I walked with on that prayer walk. Help us see the people around us who need the love of Jesus. And then when the voice in our head says, oh, you can't help them, help us remember that the power comes from the Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.